Hello, and welcome back to the Emergency Traffic Podcast, where we continue to explore tragic line of duty deaths of firefighters and paramedics to learn from these tragic events. These podcasts are a brief synopsis of events that we've obtained from official reports, such as FEMA reports or NIOSH reports, etc., or published stories in the media. We wanted to provide an easy, convenient method for today's firefighters to quickly learn the lessons of past line of duty deaths and possibly prevent them from happening again. Thank you so much for listening to us. We really appreciate your attention and your time to support the podcast. We're slowly growing in popularity. Please tell your friends and coworkers, spread the knowledge about our podcast so that we can impact more and more people with this information and possibly make our jobs safer. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, Podcast Traffic on Twitter or our Facebook page. You can also email us with your comments and thoughts at emergencytrafficpodcast.com. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Please give us a thumbs up or some stars if you like the podcasts. We'd love to get your feedback. I'm your host, Paul, and I welcome my co-host today, Doug and Dirk. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Yeah, doing good, doing good. Happy to be back talking. It's always fun to be talking about fire stuff, so it's good. Yeah, yeah, and the podcast is growing. We've got uh, about 100 listeners now, or uh, and so things are things are growing, So, which is great. We, we're happy to spread the word, and hopefully people continue to enjoy us and, and give us feedback. Uh, a little bit about recent events. So how about that Walmart uh, distribution center fire last week in Plainsfield, Indiana? That was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was a pretty big fire. It was. Uh, well, I think they said a million square feet. It looked so, big. It was a big distribution so center for sure. Yeah, hundred thousand feet aside, like or a thousand feet aside. That like that's a huge building. Um, yeah. and uh, and yeah, did you listen to the radio traffic? I did. I did. Because uh, first I saw the pictures and it was like, this is weird. That this is a split yeah. building. How can that? get away but then uh listen to the uh the uh uh radio communication there is um yeah i think i think our high-rise thing is kind of like this same thing it's like you 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 call a fire out even though you're not sure that it's out and then you shut down the sprinklers to prevent water damage yeah yeah and then it goes away from you that would be a good podcast to talk about too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, luckily, no, no injuries, uh, serious injuries to anybody. So that's fantastic. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I can understand. And we've done it before. Okay, we got it under control. Turn off the sprinklers, and it's like, oh no, it's not. And uh, yeah, uh, obviously, um, some reports and investigations will come out that it is normal to turn off sprinkler risers for certain areas after the fact, uh, or stop the sprinklers from flowing. Although in a warehouse, of course, you can't get up there with your step ladder and put a wedge in it uh right i mean the only way to stop it we had that same with that high school fire uh here in lacombe uh, years ago where you couldn't get at some of the sprinklers to to turn them off you had to turn off the system um but yeah very very risky and, and we're going to learn more about that in moving forward uh, another there was another one at a pepsi distribution center too there's not much information online about it yet but happened a couple of days ago where some trucks or some equipment outside caught fire and it extended into the building so, and there's been three or four other large mega warehouse fires apparently in rural communities recently um, in the last six months or a year. So it might be that's something a, to watch. That's a big thing that I noticed is lots of these big 
companies, Walmart, Amazon, whoever, they don't want to pay taxes, so they build right. their big, huge distribution centers outside the big city. Yep. And it completely overwhelms the fire department right away. Right. And then you're, I mean, look at the one in Indiana there. I mean, I saw some pictures on Facebook and every ladder truck that was there was from a different fire department. Like, Oh, oh yeah, it, for sure. And I mean, they even called the ARF truck from the airport. But yeah, like, I saw that it, too. It was, and they were pumping it, into a, into a port tank yeah. ARF truck. Yeah. yeah. So I was just going to say, it looks so, like a rural operation for a big industrial building. Yeah. Right and, there, you, you're never putting up water on that mutual, fire. <laughs> you're well, calling mutual aid from so far away to get all the resources you need. It's not like it's a big city where it's just okay, third, fourth, fifth alarm, and New York can send 300 firefighters and they're there right now. It's and, driving from far away and it, it taxes them. You, you, they, they're behind the eight ball to start with, and you can never catch up. And I read, well, they actually, it was nothing showing fire uh, when they showed up. I know. And, but, and and they yeah. thought they had it out, which I think I'm guessing it was probably an exposure inside that was burning that they saw and they put it out and then the real fire was somewhere else. But yeah, but yeah. and I actually read an article that uh, the that municipality doesn't get any very much money at all from the taxes because they were given a tax break to build there and it goes to some yeah. special fund. So, yeah. you know, anyway, but yeah, anyway, it's a good uh, something to watch out for in the future, along with uh, that lithium battery fires all over the place I've been following too. Um, there was recent, there was just another one yesterday, a post of some car that was in an accident and then burned for hours and they had to block yeah. the highway and do all that kind of stuff. All right. Well, um, today's podcast this week in continuation of our April high rise month, we're going to review a fire that occurred in Memphis, Tennessee on April 11th, 1994, way back 1994. Um, that's probably before you were born, Doug. Um, not quite, not quite. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was not like quite. seven, 84. Okay. Yeah. 94. As the building was known as Regis towers at the time of the fire, uh, Memphis. Oh, I lost my page. Uh, uh, Memphis had a population of about a million people the city of Memphis and the fire department had 900 uniformed firefighters and 500 other staff at two Oh five in the morning. Uh, 0205 hours on April 11th, a call was received from a building security service for a possible fire on the ninth floor of Regis Towers. The building was a familiar location to the firefighters in the area. This call was the 29th response to this building in the past six months, so they're getting a lot of alarm calls. Nuisance alarms, yep. So you can imagine the crew's thoughts as they were responding to this call. What's your slogan, Dirk? Expect fire, expect victims, right? Yeah. That's why we're there. That's why we're there. That's why we're staffing and all the resources are spent and our training and dedication. Engine 7 and snorkel, I love this, snorkel 13, that's sweet, I love, you know me and articulating platforms, were the first units to arrive on the scene three minutes later at 2009. We could talk about snorkels. We're going to have a tailboard talk in. Let's talk April. about this first. Hmm? <laughs> Let's talk about this call first. We're going to do a tailboard to talk about, about high rise, <laughs> high rise uh, devices and uh, anything over a hundred feet, and also articulating platforms and stuff. So you can stand by for that to come as a bonus episode sometime in April on Tailboard Tuesdays. It'll be on a Tuesday. Okay. 
The engine officer on engine seven assumed command from the ground floor lobby. Firefighters noted the alarm system was showing possible fires on the ninth and 10th floors. Three firefighters from engine three, engine seven, and two firefighters from snorkel 13 used the lobby elevator to, to proceed to the ninth floor. Incident command radioed engine seven firefighter in the elevator that there was also smoke showing from a ninth floor window. When the elevator doors opened on the ninth floor hallway, the hallway was filled with thick black smoke. Four of the five firefighters that were in the elevator stepped out. The one remaining firefighter from engine seven was still in the elevator struggling to don his SCBA because of the smoke in the hallway as they all were putting their SCBAs on, but he was carrying the high-rise hose pack. So then he was also holding the door open with his foot. His foot slipped, which allowed the elevators to close and it returned to the lobby. This elevator was not, uh, not equipped with firefighter control feature, uh, which standards changed after this fire or around the same time. The two firefighters from engine seven and the two firefighters from snorkel 13 on the ninth floor entered the small ninth floor elevator lobby directly in front of the elevator. One firefighter was experiencing problems with his SCBA leaking air and coughing. He radioed and asked for directions to the nearest stairwell. The other three engine seven, the other two engine seven fire, the other engine seven firefighter helped him and they proceeded down the hallway turning to the right in the smoke. The two snorkel firefighters also entered the hallway, but turned left, reporting zero visibility and high heat. After going down the hall about 15 to 20 feet, they retreated down the hallway, going past the elevator lobby, when they encountered a male resident who attacked the firefighters, knocking them down and removing his face piece. The firefighters eventually overpowered the resident and retreated into an apartment. One of the firefighters' low, air, low alarms was sounding, so a firefighter broke out a window to provide fresh air and the other firefighter attempted to close the apartment door but wasn't able to due to excessive heat in the hallway and maybe some pressure too. There could have been some flow path going on there because the fire had vented out of wherever the fire was. And if they opened the windows then they could have had a wind driven fire or just a flow path, which back in 94, no one talked about flow path or very few. Both the Snorkel 13 firefighters and the resident that they were having an altercation with were rescued from that apartment with an aerial ladder. Another resident was in the suite, unknown to the firefighters, and was discovered uh, deceased uh, later after the fire was under control and a secondary search located her lifeless body. Three firefighters from Engine 1 arrived a few minutes later and witnessed the windows on the ninth floor blowing out and ascended the west stairwell to the ninth floor with a hose pack. The engine, firefighter, engine one firefighters proceeded down the ninth floor hallway with a charged hose line. They went about 60 feet. The hallway was over 100 feet long, which, uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, before sprinklers, it was 75, couldn't be more than 50 feet uh, each direction. So, yeah, this would just be the minimum for the max for no sprinklers. Intense heat and zero visibility forced them to retreat back down to the stairway. During this time and the retreat, they crawled over what they thought was a piece of furniture. Upon reflection, they did not notice it there before when they went down the hallway. A lone firefighter from engine seven, who was stuck in the elevator, went back to the lobby, got a new SCBA, proceeded up the west stairs to the ninth floor, where he encountered the engine one firefighter struggling to retreat back out of the hallway and he pulled them back into the stairway.
at uh, 0224, so 12 minutes after the initial call, Rescue 2 arrives and proceeded up the west stairs. Upon arriving, they asked where the firefighters from Engine 7 were. So unlike the recently recorded Shirley Towers, they actually knew who was assigned where and they were looking for him by their unit designation, which makes sense to me. The firefighter from Engine 7 and E1 stated that they did not know where the three Engine 7 firefighters were. Rescue 2 firefighters accessed the hallway and spotted a downed firefighter about nine feet from the door. He was entangled in, believe it or not, wire coaxial cables that were attached to the ceiling with plastic tubings and that had melted, the same as Shirley Towers, 20 years later. So this is the lesson we didn't learn, is that we still let people do that, non-fire rated attachments for cables in a ceiling that are going to fall on firefighters. That was a factor in that McDonald's fire in Houston that we're going to do one day, where the ceiling all collapsed and they all got tangled up in the T-bar and all the cables above the T-bar. The firefighter from Engine 7, uh, and possibly what... So this was the firefighter that Engine 7 had uh, crawled over. Engine 1 had crawled over during their rapid retreat, but they didn't know that it, they actually it was their, their partner or their brother. The engine, the firefighter that was found in the hallway was still wearing his SCBA. He was removed from the hallway and down to the eighth floor where ALS treatment began immediately. The rescue two firefighters then entered the first apartment to the left down the hallway and found the other missing engine seven firefighter kneeling in a corner, holding his SCBA mask to his face, but unresponsive. This firefighter was also moved to the eighth floor for medical treatment. Both firefighters were evacuated via the aerial device, which may have been the snorkel platform because the other one was just a straight ladder. So it was probably easier to put them on the, in the basket. And the, according to the video footage that I've seen, a second civilian victim was also found in this same apartment. The pass alarm devices, personal alert safety systems that were worn by both injured firefighters were not activated. They weren't on. This was before the required automatic activation of pass devices that led to automatic activation requirement in the standard that changed. And if I, I remember when this happened, we had pass alarms, but you had to turn them on manually. I don't know if you guys probably don't remember that, but back in the, uh, in the early, uh, late eighties, early nineties, uh, you had to turn them on. You had to remember to turn it on. And then they came out with these little clips and it was a little uh, cable and a plastic clip that, would get pulled when you pulled the SCBA out of its storage, whether it was in a seat or in a case or whatever, and that would pull the clip and it would turn on the pass alarm to make it automatically activate before they are integrated with the SCBA. And then when you turn the air on, they would turn on. We actually, we handed those tags in because we had to write our names and the starting pressure of our BA on that tag. And when you pulled it out, you activate your pass alarm. That means you're going interior. You right. handed that to the uh, control officer for, for the air. So it wasn't attached to the truck? No. You you, you took it off just like a, a tag on an airplane kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, we had to All sign right. We had to sign our uh, our name, our starting pressure on this little tag, and that tag Great. was attached to the separate pass alarm. So, yeah. I, yeah, I did not turn on automatically. You had to activate it, but the activation means I'm handing this tag with my name and the starting pressure. Right to the uh, BA control officers. Right, awesome, yeah. 
Uh, numerous other companies responded to the incident and 14 civilians were rescued with aerial devices from the building, which is a credit to like the aerial devices did save a lot of lives in this, in this situation. And why, why we need to send multiple aerials to, uh, you know, high risk buildings like these. The lesson that the UK is, is learning is that you can't depend solely on the compartmentation inside the building. You need to be able to provide other means of egress and fire attack at, at, at elevation. Uh, you and I can go on about this for a while, uh, Dirk, in that the rest of the world buys tall aerials. But, you know, for some reason in North America, we're depending on the building to protect the people. Uh, I'm reading that that Meridian One Plaza fire in Philadelphia. And they, they actually evacuated everybody from the building at, at one point because they were uh, afraid the building was going to collapse. And eventually the sprinklers that had been retrofitted on the 30th floor uh, stopped the fire. So it's just crazy. So some recommendations that came uh, out of this discussion or this call is uh, the fire department policy stated at no time will a team take an elevator to the fire floor. And these guys all just hopped in the elevator and up they went, went right to the fire floor. It, it is standard procedure now, but I'm not sure. 94 was it? That, was. It was, was their policy. It says right here. Two floors. policy below. was do not, do not take the elevator to the fire floor, but they ignored policy. Why? Because they'd been there 26 times before, or 29 times before in the last six months. And of course, Going up the stairs takes a lot of time, right? I'm just reading that book, uh, Doug, the one you were talking about the, from New York, right? It's mm -hmm. going to take an hour to get to the 70th floor or the 40th floor uh, going up the stairs for guys that are in good shape, never mind guys like me. This location had been the scene of several false alarm calls in the past, and it was assumed that another it was another routine call. The firefighters had two warnings that there was a fire on the ninth floor. Lobby command radioed, smoke was observed coming out the ninth floor window and the hallway was filled with smoke and the elevator, when the elevator doors were opened, five firefighters went up the elevator. So they, they could have, that was a lobby. They could have went back down a floor, right? But they just put their BA on and let's go into the floor. Been there, done that. Gotta say, yeah. like I've been to a few calls where exactly the same thing happened. Uh, complacency on, on our part, um, not staying two floors below or even one floor below and then the elevator door opens and you have smoke i mean it was never a special fire in my cases but we could have been could have been in the same situation right yeah so just uh why we're doing the podcast why we're telling people about it is you know don't get complacent it's going to bite you right so uh expect victims and expect fire i love that Five firefighters went up in the elevator to the ninth floor. One firefighter returned to the ground floor um, with the standpipe pack. So then they were stuck. They had no standpipe pack. There was no way out except the elevator back down or down the hall. Lobby command should have been alerted that four firefighters were on the ninth floor with no firefighting equipment, thereby alerting fire command that a rapid intervention team needed to be assembled. So somehow, I don't know, the command maybe didn't see the guy come back down the elevator go out to a vehicle, get another air pack. So, you know, that, that communication didn't happen. Same thing as Shirley Towers we just uh, recorded. Communication with command not happening. They didn't know where their people were. Uh, the next the recommendation was the fire department should develop written maintenance procedures for self-contained SCBA. So they are reading apparatus. 
what they did upon inspection is they found that the fire department had not the four four SCBAs from the, this fire uh, that were used in this incident. Each of these SCBAs failed at least two of the five performance tests for SCBA that are conducted by NIOSH to see if it's approved to be used. Uh, they did not do annual testing. Lots of rural departments out there, I'm afraid, still don't do annual testing. It's something I've been big on most of my career is that SCBA needs to be tested at minimum once a year. That's a minimum and overhauled at once every three years. When I was in CARS rule, my understanding, and Dirk, you can, uh, you can clarify it, but the policy there, my understanding with all the translations was anytime an SCBA was used, it went back to an SCBA technician and he did a bench test on that SCBA to make sure that it was like the annual test. He did yeah. it again. And then the yeah. SCBA goes back to the truck. It goes out of service as soon as it's used to be checked over, to tuned up and ready to go. Is that accurate? I, I'm not sure if it's everywhere in Germany. Uh, my old department did that. Um, after every fire you come out, uh, they wrote down your name, uh, the time you used it. So there was also kind of like an early use exposure tracking, if you want to call right, it. Right. I don't think we mm -hmm. thought about cancer, but no. those documents probably st still going to be around somewhere. <laughs> I'm pretty right. sure about that. We were really, really, really anal about uh, documentation. And uh, yeah, so you get your new BA fully tested by those guys. Um, they're all all trained uh, SCBA technicians. All the masks get cleaned appropriately because those Drago masks they they had more more um, what do you call it uh, moving parts, more moving component. parts within the mask. So they didn't want to leave it up to the fi uh, firefighters. I mean, our Scott mask here they are very simple except for the uh, exhalation valve. Um, but yeah, more moving parts. So it had to be taken apart, had to be properly cleaned. They were all tested right away. The masks were tested, uh, pressure tested, and then they were in a, uh, put in a sealed bag. So you did not have individual masks. You just right. knew your size. And then you just grabbed that and we had them on the trucks. And if you didn't use them for the shift, then you just left them there uh, right. for the next guy to grab. Um, it, it, yeah, it's really, really good uh, system in that sense uh the only system i felt was even better was when i did my ride along in barcelona with the barcelona fire department they actually had the mask and the regulator uh separately cleaned um and then you grab that at the beginning of the shift so the regulator just plugged into uh into the scba right um not sure if they exchanged the ba as well after a fire but just having the mask and your regulator uh, as a separate well, unit, always cleaned and checked. I felt that was like, really good. Right. And some and some SCBAs, the exhalation valve is in the regulator. And some SCBAs, the exhalation valve is on the mask. So that might be the difference difference there. But, but I think the big thing here is that they didn't do their annual test. Now, annual testing is much more prevalent now. I know many of the vendors have uh, service techs that go around to all the fire departments. I know when I was in Clearwater and here in Lacombe and in, in Fort Saskatchewan, at minimum once a year, every SCBA got inspected and flow tested and documented that that was done by an appropriate technician. And that's one of the recommendations that came out of this. There's concerns that the SCBA did not function appropriately. And that's actually where uh, some of the reporting on, reporting on this came from is they contacted NIOSH originally in 94 
because they wanted to check the SCBAs as to what, what happened. Why were these guys unresponsive in the hallway? It wasn't that long. They weren't in the hallway long and they were out of air. So what happened? What, you know, why was there a problem? So that's kind of where they, I think that came from. Well, maybe but, it was part of the, getting attacked by the civilian knocking the face piece off. Yeah. If it's well, positive then pressure, that would on. piss all the air out, right? Right, right. Although that was, uh, that's the other guy. That wasn't the guy. The two firefighters, they weren't attacked as far as we know. It was the snorkel guys. Um, municipalities, another recommendation was uh, both firefighters were wearing pass alarms, but they didn't get activated. We know that already. Municipalities should review, amend when necessary elevator codes to ensure they require both phase one recall and phase two firefighter control for all elevators that have a travel distance greater than 25 feet. Here it says, many years ago, elevator codes and installation practices were changed to minimize the danger that firefighters would be trapped in elevators and facilitate their safe use for access to a fire on an upper floor. So I don't know what happened specifically here in Memphis. A lot of that elevator code stuff and upgrading is municipally controlled or state controlled as to what you have to do retroactively in an older building. So anyway, that's just a, a short one that a lesson to be learned is, you know, walk up the stairs or take the elevator to a floor below or two floors below the fire. That's pretty normal, normal practice now. And uh, know and talk to command, tell them what's going on so that they can help direct it, right? 94, uh, there's probably only the officer had a radio. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, Maybe there's like another it? report that I was reading that FEMA did about communications and it was mentioned in this call, but I didn't find it referring to this call. So right. I'm not sure what that's about. So that'd be the something others... act, activate, have, have procedures that activate your pass alarm, which they didn't do. Yeah. But if nobody's around, I mean, in the end, really, that would have saved their life. Um, yeah, it could have. Those guys would have known what they were tripping over, right? If he was motionless on the floor. That, yep. that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thermal imaging cameras weren't existing back then. No, no, that they weren't there. Might yet. have helped nowadays, right? Cool. Well, that's another podcast wrapped up. Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully, it's informative information for you. A nice short one. We seem to do a long one and then a short one the way it goes. But uh, uh, if you can learn something from it, we appreciate it. That's what it's all about. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Stay safe.